0: point, as you know, applies a Christian perspective to the world and all its issues, to mankind and all of its problems. Of course, our text is solely the Bible, the Word of God. Why is it that we stand so firmly on this book? How is it that we can rely on it solely as our word of counsel? How can we know for certain that the Bible is worthy of our trust? Is the Bible really true? Well, today's broadcast deals precisely with these questions. Speaker Eugene Higgins takes up five aspects of the Bible that demonstrate its uniqueness in claiming to be the sure Word of God, its unity, the prophecies it contains, its durability over time in spite of constant and vicious attacks, its accuracy backed up time and time again through historical and archaeological facts, and its ability to not only change the entire course of history, but also to meet the needs of all generations and to change the lives of millions. We hope that you have time to listen to all of this message today. Psalm
1: 19 and verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Conversion and wisdom coming from God's Word. Now into the New Testament, please. The Gospel of John, chapter 5, and we'll be reading... The words of the Lord Jesus in this verse, John chapter 5 and verse 24. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. One more reading, please, in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick. That is the old English word for living. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Tonight's subject is to look at the question and hopefully answer the question, is the Bible true? Is the Bible reliable? Can you really trust the Bible as the word of God? Now, using the Bible to prove that the Bible is the word of God is circular reasoning. It's a little like evolutionists who date the fossils by the strata in which they are found and then turn around and date the strata by the fossils that are found there. That is circular reasoning. But examining the Bible to see whether it stands up to the claim of being the word of God is another thing altogether. We should expect that a communication from God would be unique among the books in the world. And it is a fair and proper challenge to ask whether the Bible stands up to that exacting demand. I would say to you that when the scriptures are approached with an open mind, they pass the test resoundingly. Think for a few minutes about the Bible's unity, its prophecy, its durability, its accuracy, and its ability. And I'm going to be very, very careful about your time because it is valuable and hope not to bore you or to waste your time with a lot of facts. The word Bible comes from the Greek word for papyrus plant, biblos, since the leaves of that plant were used for paper. Therefore, the title The Bible means the scrolls or the books. How did 40 different writers from three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, writing in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, over a period of 1,600 years and from a bewildering variety of backgrounds such as prophet, priest, king, shepherd, tax collector, rabbi, fisherman, physician, and servant, produce a book of such unified character? With little chance, due to both geography and chronology, for either collusion or collaboration, they wrote a book that is incredibly free of contradiction. How is this possible, since there is no parallel to this in any other literature in the world? Could it be that in all of those 1600 years, there was a single omniscient mind that was communicating the message? Because the Bible has an underlying theme carried on from the book of Genesis, its first book, all the way to its last book, Revelation, and that theme is this, that the one true God would send his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the Savior, that Christ would accomplish redemption by dying on a cross, bearing the sins of guilty sinners, that he would rise from the dead and bring salvation and eternal life to all who would trust him and that eventually he will return to earth to reign forever and ever. So the Bible's unity is a remarkable thing, as I said, unparalleled in the literature of the world. The Bible's prophecy, of course, is noteworthy. People marvel if an astrologer gets one guess right out of 10, if a psychic solves one crime or a fortune teller makes one correct prediction. But the Bible's track record is unmatched in the history of the world. Its batting average is a thousand. It has a perfect rating of 100% accuracy. Furthermore, The Bible's prophecies were not vague general statements, but involved specific names of places and people, precise dates, unlikely scenarios, and detailed descriptions like naming the Persian King Cyrus by name 150 years before he was born, or telling of the coming of King Josiah 300 years before he was born, foretelling the rise of Alexander the Great, his early death, the division of his kingdom into four parts, the rise of Rome and its empire. And the very year when the lord jesus would enter jerusalem no other book in the world no other book in the world is like this the person who chooses to not believe the bible faces the impossible task of explaining how all this happened by guesswork or coincidence lee strobel a former skeptic likes to say that the old testament gives us a thumbprint it says quote that when you find the person that fits this thumbprint that's the messiah that's the son of god and throughout history. Only Jesus Christ has had that thumbprint. Strobel, who earned a law degree at Yale, used to be an award-winning legal affairs journalist for the Chicago Tribune until he was confronted with the claims of Christ. What happened was he was an unbeliever, a skeptic, may even have been an agnostic, and then his wife trusted Christ. And now Christianity came right into the home. So he decided to apply all of his journalistic skills toward Christianity so that he could show how historically incorrect, how wrong it was. As Strobel studied the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, he found that they were not easily dismissed. This is what he writes. The more I studied them, the more difficulty I had in trying to explain them away. End of quote. As he looked at the odds of any one person fulfilling these prophecies, he was stunned at the scientific evidence that Jesus was the Messiah. Strobel was shocked by the work of mathematician Peter Stoner, who proved that the chance of any one person fulfilling even eight of these Old Testament prophecies was 10 to the 17th power. That is one with 17 zeros after it, 100 quadrillion. I think that is a number that very few of us could even begin to fathom. To try to comprehend that enormous number, Strobel said, I did some calculations. I imagined the entire world covered with white tiles that were an inch and a half square. Every bit of dry land on the planet covered by these with the bottom of just one tile painted red. Then I pictured a person being allowed to wander for a lifetime around all seven continents, he would be permitted to bend down only one time and pick up a single piece of tile. What were the odds it would be the one tile whose reverse side was painted red? Mathematically, the odds there would be the same as just eight of the Old Testament prophecies coming true in any one person throughout history. If that didn't boggle Strobel's mind enough, Peter Stoner demonstrated that the chances of anyone fulfilling 48 prophecies were 10 to the 157th power. Strobel realized the incredible implications of that as well. It would be like finding a single predetermined atom among all the atoms in a trillion, trillion. I I have to read this because I wouldn't be able to remember this. A trillion, 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 billion universes the size of our universe. Lee Strobel finally did the intellectually honest thing. He recognized Christ was the Savior, the Messiah, and he trusted Him. Think about the Bible's durability. The words of L. Ron Hubbard, founder of the Church of Scientology, who was cremated upon his death in 1986, are stored in a number of underground vaults built to last a thousand years. There is one in New Mexico, two in California, and possibly one in Utah. We do not really know because not all information is forthcoming where their practices are concerned. But the cylindrical container in Petrolia, California, is 14 feet below a cow pasture. It is as wide as a Boeing 747 and it is 140 feet longer. Besides his written works, it was supposed to house his words recorded on audio discs made of gold, etched into stainless steel, steel phonograph records, and gas-filled titanium time capsules. The land, plus the vaults in these two or three places, are worth many millions of dollars. And all this is done in hopes of somehow preserving from the relentlessly encroaching sands of time what Hubbard's followers call his wisdom of the ages. God's approach was exactly the opposite. He sent his word out to the world. He purposely exposed it to the light of day, to the fires of persecution, to the sharp claws of higher criticism and the scorn of unbelievers, to the assault of atheists and agnostics and the, the ridicule of the irreverent. As a result, no book in the world has been so thoroughly attacked from every possible angle. Enemies have assailed it using every weapon in their mental arsenal, yet still, despite every tidal wave, every hammer blow, every Bible-burning conclave and martyr silencing execution, here it stands, the impregnable rock of Holy Scripture. Enemies of the Bible have really run out of ways to try to disprove it because it has withstood every test and survived to see the burial of all its past would-be pole bearers. How has it managed to survive such vitriol? What power has preserved the Bible when many and powerful foes united to eradicate it from the earth? Christians are certain that they know the answer and that Peter is the one who voices that answer when he said the word of the Lord will endure forever. The Bible's accuracy, I'll just be very quickly here, it's not only the prophets whose level of accuracy is 100%. The science of archeology span has time and again vindicated the Bible in the face of those who were certain that they had discovered error in its pages. This has happened so often that the late preacher Charles Spurgeon Riley pointed out, quote, if you want to be thought very wise today, But look like a fool in about 50 years. Attack the Bible. Point out all its errors. But if you're willing to be thought foolish now, obscurantist, fundamentalist, or whatever, but believing that in 50 years you will be vindicated, stand with the Bible. Dr. James Kennedy wrote that for the last 150 years, archaeologists have excavated thousands of sites in the Near East. Many times they worked with great animosity towards scripture, attempting to disprove the Bible. Yet every time they turned over their spades, they discovered another confirmation of the Bible. I have a book home, and in fact, Kennedy quotes it. It was a book by a German author named Werner Keller, who said that when I thought of the skeptical criticism, which for so many years wanted to demolish the Bible, they're kept hammering in my brain. He's on the field now. He's an archaeologist, and he's digging, and he's following directions from the Bible and finding that where the Bible points him, the places are, and, and he's digging there, and he's he says, they're kept hammering in my brain this one sentence, the Bible is right after all. The Bible is right after all. In fact, this validating of the Bible has happened so many, many times that there are many archaeologists who started out as unbelievers and became so convinced by the facts they were uncovering that they became believers in God and in Christ and in his word. That, of course, was the case with the famous historian and archaeologist, Sir William Ramsey. Ramsey was very skeptical of the accuracy of the New Testament. He went to Asia Minor over a century ago to refute its historicity. He zeroed in on Luke's account in the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, which contained numerous geographical and historic references. Dig after dig, the evidence without fail supported Luke's account. Governors mentioned by Luke that many historians never believed even existed were confirmed by the evidence excavated by his archaeological team without a single error. Luke was accurate in naming 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands. Ramsey became so overwhelmed with the evidence that he eventually converted to Christianity. This is what he said, I began with a mind unfavorable to the Bible, but more recently, I found myself brought into contact with the book of Acts as an authority for the topography, antiquities, and society of Asia Minor. It was gradually borne upon me that in various details, the narrative showed marvelous truth. Luke, is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of facts trustworthy. This author should be placed along with the very greatest historians. Finally, the Bible's ability, when read, has an unrivaled ability to unmask hypocrisy, convince the skeptic, convict the sinner, enlighten the searcher, comfort the distressed, strengthen the weak, and encourage the faint. Considering the human instruments involved in its writings, shepherds, judges kings fishermen farmers and warriors it is astonishing that it has the power to meet the need across the entire spectrum of human emotions and experiences where did these writers many of them unlearned and uneducated obtain the wisdom that has survived more than three thousand years of change the message of the gospel of salvation through christ has changed the course of history and the lives of millions upon millions of people including men and women from such varied walks of life as the proud Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, the devout monk, Martin Luther, the slave trader, John Newton, the parliamentarian, William Wilberforce, scientists like Michael Faraday, Lord Kelvin, and Sir James Simpson, the Scotland Yard official, Sir Robert Anderson, and the Oxford scholar and skeptic, C.S. Lewis. If I could borrow and reapply the words of the Christian hymn, please let me tell you that what this book has done for others, it will do for you if you approach it with an open mind. When my children were little, there was a series of children's books about an amusing woman named Amelia Bedelia. She took everything in a word-for-word literal fashion. The author used Amelia to show the number of amusing idioms and unusual terminologies in the English language. Amelia never grasped figures of speech. If the woman she worked for told her to toss the salad, she took it to the back door and threw it, tossed it into the yard. The command to draw the drapes resulted in her sitting with a pad to draw, to sketch the drapes. She thought the order to dust the furniture was bizarre since she said at her house she would undust the furniture. Now, many people imagine that when Christians speak about a literal interpretation of the Bible, that they mean this kind of mindless, convoluted thinking. But that is a failure to understand what literal means. The literal meaning of literal in this case is taking words In their usual or primary sense and applying the ordinary rules of grammar without mysticism allegory or metaphor approach the bible as you would any literature that you wish to honestly understand and you will find it is an intelligent and intelligible communication from god to you is it true this book based on the facts that we have looked at and so much more there's convincing evidence that ought to appeal to you that the Bible is a unique book and is the Word of God. If as we posit God inspired its writings, what would we expect from a book whose source was the omniscient God? I think that what we would expect is exactly what we would find. We would expect absolute accuracy. We would expect pinpoint precision. We would expect complete candor and honesty. Peter is the one who tells us that the Bible is a light that's shining in a dark place, and he says that we would be wise to take heed to it and to follow its light because it is the only reliable light that we have respecting a number of overwhelmingly important issues. Five of which are perhaps the most important things you will ever consider. God, Christ, the human condition, salvation, and the future. The first is what we read from Psalm 19 and verse 7. And I want to speak about the perfect word of God, that the word of God is perfect, that it is inspired from God, that it comes from God. In Genesis chapter 2, when God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, here he was nothing more than an inanimate object of clay, a statue, if you will, a sculpture, no breathing, no moving, no thinking, no functioning of the body. But it says that God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, that he imparted spirit and soul to Adam, and that Adam became a living being. But when you come to the Bible, it doesn't say that God breathed into the Bible, that men and women wrote what they wrote, and then God breathed into it and gave it life. But it rather is that the Bible is God's breath, that it has come from God. And with what respect we should be approaching a book like that? I remember reading about George Whitfield when he was preaching in Scotland. It so greatly encouraged him. and touched his heart because the page is turning when he would announce a verse. The 10,000 or so people listening to him, when they would turn the pages of scripture, it sounded like the wind blowing through the leaves in the forest, the noise being made, because everyone had a Bible and everyone was intent to find out what the Bible said and was carefully listening to what he said. Because it is when you come to this book that you can learn things about God that are not easily inferred from creation. I might look at the vastness of creation And infer from that, that this planet with its anthropic coincidence, as we noticed the other night, with its ability to sustain life must indicate that there is a loving creator, a gracious creator. I could infer that, but really creation would tell me something about his wisdom and his power. And you never use this word more properly than when you use it about God, his awesome nature, that he fills this universe, that, that he could make a universe of such massive, inconceivable distance and breath, and he must be an awesome being. But it is when you come to the Bible that you learn what God is like. You learn that God is a God of holiness, that he is a a being who cannot sin, who loves righteousness, and who hates iniquity. It's when you come to the Bible that we learn about his heart that we learn that he loves every human being, that while we stamp importance on people based on how far they've gone in education or how much money they have earned or their prowess or ability, can he shoot a basketball well? Can he throw a football far? Can he skate well and shoot a puck into the net with capability and skill? Well, we have so many artificial means and methods and criteria for judging how valuable a person is. God says every human being, every human being is infinite and equal worth no matter who you are no matter what you have done god loves you and that what god wants is that you will spend eternity with him when life here is done when you die and breathe your last that you will be with him forever that is what god wants how we should respect this book you know in july of 2004 the uh, people of rananga which is a very small remote island in the solomon island chain they read the words of the lord jesus for the first time in their own language The arrival of the New Testament in Lunga, the local language, was the result of 20 years of effort. And when the finished copies were available finally to the people, and they were holding in their hand the written word of God, one man said, today, today, God has arrived in Rananga. It was just a book. See? Today, God has arrived in Rananga. No, they weren't worshiping the book as God, but they had God's word. And God has given you a tremendous treasure. I would plead with you not to ignore it or neglect it because it's in his word that you'll find out what he thinks about you and how much he loves you and what he has done for you. Because the Bible is not only inspired by God, it is inerrant and infallible. It is error-free in their original transmission. In fact, there are back-to-back verses in our Bible, Proverbs chapter 30, verses five and verse six. Listen to what we can learn from them. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse five tells us that no corrections are needed. No corrections are needed. He says every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. The next verse tells us that no deletions or additions are required because he goes on to say, don't add to his words. Don't add to what God says. Lest us reprove thee and you be found a liar. When you're reading the word of God, when you're reading the Bible, you are listening to what God has to say to you. It is a letter from God to you. I love the way James Packer put it when he said that when it comes to the Bible, you're reading the bible the bible is god preaching the bible is god preaching you're kind enough that you're listening to my words tonight when you read the bible we're listening to what god has to say and we're getting an insight into god's mind and god's heart because it is inerrant
0: Yes, the Bible cannot be compared to any other work of literature or religious thought with regard to the manner in which it was written and put together, its hundreds of fulfilled prophetic utterances, its accuracy in spite of severe scrutiny, its durability over time, its amazing power to change lives. And, of course, its wonderful revelation of a great, holy, and loving God who, in desiring the salvation of His creation, himself became a man to suffer and die for sinners. What a unique and wonderful book. We trust that what you have heard today will instill even more confidence in the Bible as a cornerstone of all that we need to know about God, Christ, the human condition, salvation, and the future. Yes, the Bible is living and powerful. Have you read it today? If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or, if you would like some literature that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com? We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchorpoint today. Anchorpoint is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message, and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. Our Anchor Point messages are also available for listening and download at anchorpointradio.com. My name is Glenn Todd.